The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The central teaching of Christians for the past 2,000 years has been our witness about the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But what happened on Holy Saturday, the day between His crucifixion and resurrection? The Bible has some tantalizing hints. One thing's for sure, according to the Scriptures, Jesus' spirit didn't just lie there in the tomb, even if His body did. He was busy and very active conquering death. Today in this program, we want to look into the great spiritual mystery of what happened between the cross and the resurrection. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. There are many mysteries about the resurrection, such as the amazing and astounding verses in Matthew chapter 27 and verses 52 and 53 that are hardly ever preached on. That passage reveals that in this holy city, the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and they came out of their graves after his resurrection and they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Just imagine with me for a moment what that would have been like to see some of the Old Testament saints walking the streets of Jerusalem and testifying about Jesus. It must have been rather frightening. And of course, after the resurrection, Jesus himself showed himself to be alive with many indisputable proofs. He appeared to many, to the disciples, to his brother James, and even to as many as 500 disciples at one time. Graves of those saints were open, and these saints went up with him in a glory train. Many of us believe that it's a good and honorable thing to be able to enter into the sorrows and the pathos of the Lord's passion, his sufferings in some measure as the original disciples surely did in this city. The Lord's death means that even the darkest places aren't foreign to God. As Psalm 139 intimates, Sheol is conquered and full of divine light. As verses 7 and 8 of that psalm declare, Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. One author has said that the silence of the much ignored theme of Holy Saturday is as puzzling as the half hour of silence in heaven as mentioned in Revelation chapter 8. Many questions come to our minds. When Jesus died, did he immediately go to heaven? Did he descend into hell, as the Apostles' Creed declares? Did he free those held captive by sin? Was Jesus himself in a state of limbo, in purgatory, or in hell? We know that Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day was resurrected, according to these scriptures. 
But where was he in between the days of his death and burial and resurrection? Well, there are a few scriptures that give us some very strong clues, and the theologians have been debating these somewhat obscure verses for centuries. When all is said and done, it's important, however, not to forget that the resurrection is the essential doctrine of our faith, not what Jesus was doing in between his death and resurrection, as fascinating as this topic may be. But with so much talk over the past decades about God being dead, and now a popular film proclaiming God is not dead, it's certainly still a mystery to contemplate God being in the grave, isn't it? But that, in fact, is part of the subject matter of Holy Saturday. Let's look at the Gospel of John for a minute to see that there is a mysterious skip of time between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. I'll start with John chapter 19 and verses 41 and 42 and end with the first verse of chapter 20 of John. And between these two chapters is Holy Saturday, the Holy Sabbath. It says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And then there's this chapter break. In other words, there's a silence here concerning Holy Saturday. The narrative picks up with, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb because, of course, it was empty. And here in Jerusalem's Christian quarter, Holy Saturday is also known as the Great Sabbath, which commemorates the time that Yeshua the Messiah lay in his tomb after his sacrificial death. And when you're in Jerusalem, and especially in the Christian quarter, where funeral chants and a death knell is tolling on Good Friday night, it's impossible not to travel back in time and to breathe a sigh of relief that the terrible ordeal of the crucifixion that was predetermined by God for our salvation is finished and that our salvation was forever procured on that day in time and eternity when Yeshua shouted victoriously with his last dying breath from the cross, it is finished. Yes, I fully know and proclaim that Yeshua is risen and he's risen indeed. But in Jerusalem, one tends to time travel in the spirit and to imagine being part of the past New Testament events while also joyously anticipating the Lord's soon return to Jerusalem because he's indeed alive and he's coming again soon. So where was Jesus between his death and resurrection? Well, Nicodemus the rabbi and a member of the Sanhedrin who had once been reluctant to talk to Jesus in the daylight but who had visited him under the cover of darkness helped to take the corpse of Jesus down from the cross. And another very prominent disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, 
had obtained permission from the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, to take possession of the dead body and to bury Yeshua nearby in a garden in Joseph of Arimathea's own freshly hewn tomb. Not everybody could afford such a fine tomb, but the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the suffering servant of Israel would be buried in a rich man's grave. And there's a quip going around in various sermons that Joseph of Arimathea's wife had complained that he gave away his expensive new tomb to Jesus. But Joseph answered his wife, never mind, he's only going to borrow it for the weekend. So a little funeral procession of Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and the holy women who had stood sentinel at the cross took the battered and pierced corpse and buried it before sundown, before the Sabbath. The women had intended to return to the tomb as soon as the Sabbath was finished to complete the corpse's burial with spices, as was the custom. So now the sun had set on the day of crucifixion, the day that the Passover lambs were sacrificed, and now, with the sunset, began what Christian theologians call Holy Saturday, or the Great Sabbath. This was a Sabbath unlike any other Sabbath, when the body of the second person of the Trinity lay dead. Theologians teach that Jesus had to experience everything that we human beings experience, even to taste death, in order to proclaim victory over death in Hades on our behalf. But this is an important point that we'd like to make in this program. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Jesus was sinless. He never once sinned. He thus fulfilled the law of Moses. And the Bible teaches in Romans 6, 23, that death is the penalty, the wages of sin. But because Jesus never sinned, his spirit remained alive, even though his body suffered death in the flesh. You see, death can't truly occur to a spirit being like Jesus and God. The grave has no power over sinless flesh, and that's why those who belong to Jesus the Messiah will be raised to eternal life. His righteousness is accounted to every single one of us who believes in him. The intriguing question that remains is, what did Yeshua's spirit do during his three days in the grave? To the natural eye, the sun came up, life went on, and it looked like the world had returned to normal again on that sad Sabbath. Although Jesus' disciples were crushed and their minds were reeling, they were still trying to process the terrible trial and execution that had happened also suddenly. But the Word of God indicates that Jesus was busy even while his body lay in the grave, although there's much debate, as I said, about what actually happened while the Lord's body lay dead in the tomb. An early statement of Christian belief called the Apostles' Creed starts out with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The next phrase, he descended into hell, was omitted from the Protestant Presbyterian denomination that I grew up in, but most churches add that phrase today, he descended into hell. The Apostles' Creed continues, the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and so forth. That Jesus descended into hell is based upon the following scriptures. First of all, I want to share with you from Psalm 16, verse 10. This is a messianic verse. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Indeed, Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, before the time that bodies began to decompose. Jesus being kept from corruption was not due to the care of Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus in providing spices that would preserve the body, but due to the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. The God of Abraham would not suffer the Lord's body to be corrupted because Jesus was his Holy One. Because there was no moral corruption in him, there could be no natural corruption in him. So a Jewish Midrash interprets this verse that no worm or maggot should have power over him, which would not be true, of course, of David the psalmist, but only of the Messiah. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 31, the Apostle Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost quotes Psalm 1610 by saying that David was a prophet and that he had prophesied of the resurrection of Messiah, that his soul would not be left in hell, neither would his flesh see corruption. And the Apostle Paul said of these mysteries in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 8 to 10, that when Jesus ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Notice that Paul says he ascended. This clearly means that Messiah also descended to our lowly world. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. The Lord's descent was deep into the lower parts of earth, but his ascent was more glorious than his descent had been humbling. The Hebrew idea of various levels of heaven is brought out by Rabbi Paul so skillfully in this passage in the book of Ephesians. And a more specific passage to our subject matter is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, where Peter explains that Yeshua proclaimed unto the spirits in prison. So let's read that passage from the Apostle Peter, who had many conversations with the Lord after the resurrection. And so Peter testifies to us in these verses. He says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit 
in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Now some theologians insist that the spirits that Jesus preached to were not humans, but rather, as Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 proclaims, that God did not spare angels, the angels that had fallen from the time of Noah's flood when they sinned, but sent them to hell, to a pit reserved for the most despicable and evil, putting them in chains of darkness. And that pit is the abyss that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 9, which will release these demonic beings upon the earth for a final torment of the unsaved souls during the tribulation period of horrors. Now, one question to consider is, what was Yeshua declaring? What was he preaching to the spirits in prison? He was surely announcing to the demonic world his victory over Satan, over the fallen angels and over death, that he had the keys of death and hell. The spiritual part of Jesus went to a place called Sheol, which included both Hades and Paradise. And if you recall, one of the sayings from the cross that Jesus made was to the repentant thief who was crucified alongside him. Jesus said to that thief, this day you shall be with me in paradise. And what a day of mystery that was. Jesus was sent primarily to earth to save sinners. But while his soul was in a death state in Hades and paradise, he also preached the good news there. Some scholars go so far as to say that any who believed he was truly the Son of God were redeemed. All those who repented were released into the custody of Jesus because they say nothing is impossible for God and even those angels or souls awaiting judgment still belong ultimately to him to deal with. Well, we can't pontificate here nor get into the mind of God, but the bottom line is God himself may not want us to fully understand everything about Holy Saturday. And that's why the vivid details about Jesus' descent into hell aren't very explicit in the scriptures that I've mentioned. And so a comfort to me concerning mysterious subjects like this is one of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 29 and 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. You see, although some arrogant people claim to know it all, Deuteronomy 29, 29 teaches us that some things are simply unsearchable by our finite minds and we're forbidden access into God's secret counsels. But we're certainly encouraged to seek diligently into the intelligence God has made known to us. While God's secrets are entirely his affair, he offers us in this word knowledge of everything that's profitable in order for us to live in peace and happiness. In this Bible, God gave us firm covenants, warnings, and promises to pass on to our children. The Saturday between the crucifixion and resurrection symbolizes for every believer the same transition from 
the death of our old sinful lives into the beginning of a new life, filled with God's Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, in being born into the flesh of mankind, exposed himself to all the sin, sickness, and evil that confronts each one of us. When he experienced our humanness, he also became truly one of us. As Paul wrote in Romans 8, 3, bone of our bone, born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus went to the grave carrying all of our sins with him. But when he emerged from that tomb, sin and death were defeated for all who will confess Jesus as Lord. That time in the grave was the transition from death to life for every believer. As Christians, we explain that it's necessary for each of us to die to sin before we can be raised to new life. The frequently used example is that a seed must fall into the ground and be buried into the soil before it can bloom into something beautiful and great. But the real question we need to ask ourselves is whether we have experience dying to the sin in our lives. We use the language of being crucified with Christ and being dead to sin or being united with Messiah in his death. But what does that actually mean? What happens to us? Baptism explains it. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 that the act of immersion into water symbolizes the burial of our old nature that frees us from the bondage of sin. And as we come up out of the water, we are dead to sin and born into the life that Jesus won for us at the cross and in that garden tomb in Jerusalem. We can't really understand exactly when the Lord's Spirit was reunited with his physical body in that tomb. But as one of my friends on Facebook said when we were discussing this deep topic, all I know is what Jesus has done for me and that he lives. And by faith, that means I'm going to live also. We do hope and pray that Jesus, as Ephesians 4 clearly intimated, did bring a host of precious souls out of the underworld with him, and that one day in heaven they can all testify to us exactly what happened. Praise God for his love, grace, and mercy to all who are willing to believe. And while we're on this mysterious topic of Jesus descending into hell to preach to the spirits there, whether these spirits were demon spirits or the Old Testament saints, debatable, as I said, by theologians. One thing is absolutely clear. Jesus stated in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 that hell was not created originally for humans. Rather, he said in that verse that everlasting fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you haven't placed your trust in the Savior, and if you haven't received the faith in Jesus that saves, this means that you're potentially headed dangerously to hell. He's not forcing you to go there. People go to eternal perdition by their own choice. 
The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and he most certainly doesn't want anyone to perish. So come to him today and ask for his forgiveness. Repent of your sins, confess them, trust in the living Savior, and the Bible promises you shall be saved. You see, first the bad news is John 3, 18. He that believeth not is already condemned because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But the good news, the gospel in a nutshell, is the golden verse of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I hope this time of looking into the Word of God together has been edifying. You can watch this program about a very mysterious subject of Holy Saturday or other videos on healing and Bible prophecy anytime 24-7 at our website at exploits.tv where you can also click online for our free copy of our color magazine exploits. We'd be so happy to send it to you. We also regularly post details about our many strategic prayer conferences in the Bible lands and during the Jewish festivals. Many believers tell me that they have learned how to pray more effectively in our corporate prayer meetings. And as always, to the glory of our risen Savior, a number of delegates receive physical healing on our tours and in our healing seminars in the Holy Land. So come with us and let the life of the Lord empower you. Meanwhile, I'd enjoy chatting with you and answering your questions on Facebook, or you can reach me at Twitter at Christine Darg. And so until next time, earnestly contending for the faith, I am Christine Darg. Blessings and Shalom. What a privilege it is for us to bring you these programs from Jerusalem, the holy city. As you can appreciate, it's not an inexpensive place to be, and that's why we need your support. If you are in the United States, you can make a tax-deductible donation. If you're in the UK, we can also claim gift aid on your gift. So please help us in supporting the work of the Jerusalem Channel so we can expand and bring you ever more in the way of spiritual insights and news and information about what's happening in the world today from a Christian perspective. And visit our website at JerusalemChannel.tv, which will have news and information for you 24 hours a day. We bless you from Zion.